Today's reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 27, and chapter 11, verses 39 to chapter 12, verse 3. It can be found on page 1007 and 1008 in the Church Bibles. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering him up, offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac evoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And all these, 
though condemned through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Thank you very much, and please do keep that uh, reading open. We're actually looking at just chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 today, but I thought we'd read some of the earlier bits of the chapter for some backgrounds, which hopefully will be helpful later. Um, but please keep uh, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 open in front of you. And let me say hello. It's really good to have you with us this morning. Uh, my name is Roger. I'm one of the ministers here. Um, and this is obviously quite a short passage, 12, 1 to 3, but it's a really important one. In some ways, it, it sums up, it's the climax of all of chapter 11 that we've been in for quite a while now. Um, and I think in lots of ways, it captures the, the central message of Hebrews. Here it is. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Keep running by looking to Jesus. Consider Jesus, verse 3 puts it as. Consider him. That's what will keep us running um, in the Christian life. So let me pray that God would help us to do that this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, whatever's going on at the moment in our lives or in our hearts, we pray very much this morning that you would powerfully work in us by your Spirit. We pray that you'd show us your Son, the Lord Jesus, and we pray that you'd help us to keep going, running with endurance the race you've set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, as you've already heard, the picture of the Christian life that we're thinking about this morning is running, long distance, endurance, running. Uh, let me put a picture up of a guy uh, running. Um, ooh, hang on, hang on. No, I need to turn it on and then it will come up. Let's try now. Okay, skip all this for a moment. Right, this guy, this guy. Guy running. Um, it's not a great picture for Hebrews because uh, you shouldn't be running alone in the Christian life. We've already seen that in the book. Um, but there's a guy kind of running, endurance running, long distance running. Um, and that is the language here, isn't it? That key command in verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. That's the big command this morning. And everything else in the verses is going to help us run, going to help us keep going in the race. So I got thinking this week about the kind of advice you might typically hear if you're preparing to run a marathon. Got the Edinburgh Marathon later in the month. Think of that, big crowds running together. Uh, what do you need to know? And I just have to confess here, I am not a runner. 
Uh, some of the, in fact, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think I've ever run more than I absolutely had to, uh, whether in sport or whatever. And I've certainly never chosen to run as an activity. Um, this is a world I don't understand. But apparently, some people do actually choose to run long distances. Um, so here's Runner's World for some advice on how to prepare. Tip one, get prepared. Apparently, you need 20 weeks to train for a marathon, minimally. So it's too late for the Edinburgh Marathon, if you were hoping. Um, secondly, find a support system. This sounds right, doesn't it, for Hebrews? You're not going to do this alone. Next, refuel whilst running. We'll think about that later. Focus on visualizing positive alternatives rather than hit, thinking about hitting the wall. Um, and my personal favorite was carb load the week before. And actually, that last one is something I can really get on board with. And in that sense, I've been travel, tra kind of training for a marathon, really, for most of my adult life as a pastor. Um, there's some tips for kind of typical marathons. What about the kind of Christian marathon, the Christian race? How do we endure this race? Now, before we get into the tips, some of us may think, well, that's, that's a slightly um, negative way of talking about the Christian life, like an endurance, like a slog. And why are we using that language? Well, it's all over the verses, isn't it? Look at verse 1 again. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Or verse 2, when we look at Jesus, he who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And in verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Endurance is the language of the Bible, the language of Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Um, so I was saying, therefore, he hasn't picked the race image as a kind of competitive image. You might be puzzled by that. Why, like, in the Christian life, we're supposed to be racing each other to the finish line. No, it's not about competition. It's about slog, endurance. It's tough. Um, we've seen already um, before in Hebrews that um, we're on a, we're on a journey. Um, uh, the, we saw in chapters 3 and 4 that Israel had come out of Egypt and were on a journey to the promised land, to God's promised rest. And Christians are like that. We're on a kind of journey um, to God's promised heavenly city. And the big, the big challenge was to not turn back. Do not turn back. Don't give up on the race. And we might be tempted to turn back because the race is long. It's an endurance race in that sense. And because the road is hard. There's stuff to endure along the way. Jesus experienced that. Uh, we've seen actually in chapter 11 that these, these kind of heroes of faith endured that. So Abraham and his family lived for God's promised place, but they didn't see it in their lifetime. They lived in tents while they waited for a city. Uh, likewise, Moses made hard choices to live God's way. Uh, he said no to some of the things the world offers and said no to some of the threats the world made to choose God's way. Jesus himself said, if, uh, if you follow me, you need to take up your cross and follow me. In this world, you will have trouble. And actually, the Hebrew church knew that the Christian race is not a walk in the park. They'd already experienced that. Just turn back to chapter 10, verse 32. We've looked at this a few times, but if you're new this morning, this will give you a feel for this church and what they were going through that the letter was first written to. So verse 32 of chapter 10, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to insults and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. This was a church that knew it is tough. It's not to say there are no blessings or joys. I mean, there are wonderful joys in the Christian life, even now. 
We know Jesus right now. We have access to God's throne of grace as we were praying earlier, right now. We can approach a holy God fully forgiven right now. We're already citizens of the heavenly city. Being a Christian is the the deepest, richest, wisest life even now, but we're not home yet. We're not there physically in that heavenly city. We need to keep going, keep running, and it's an endurance run. Some of us will have come this morning barely keeping going, just one step in front of the other, kind of one day at a time kind of Christian living. And we need this encouragement on how we can keep going. Some of us are early enough in life that we haven't hit major suffering yet, or we haven't supported others who've suffered in a a very serious way. We may not have yet experienced the kind of pushback for being Christians that this church did, and churches all over the world are. Those Christians we prayed for in our prayers, they know what it feels like to have to endure the race. So let's tune in to these three pieces of advice, three tips to, to keep running. Uh, you'll see the, the three points on the back of the service sheet. Um, and the first one is this. How do we keep running? We keep running by being inspired by the testimonies of Old Testament believers. And actually, on this point, there really is some, some kind of major overlap with typical marathon advice, isn't there? Um, So let's go back to this guy on his own. Um, I was reading the Red Bull website for tips for your first marathon. Um, I thought they were just going to say, well, drink our product and you'll be fine, but apparently not. Um, They had some other things as well. Uh, and, And the person writing the article said this, the crowds carry you through. The article reads, I can't even begin to do this section any justice. I felt like I physically couldn't go any further, but the people in the crowds have cheered me on. I always tell people how the crowds push you through and over that finish line. Something a bit like that is going on here in verse 1 of chapter 12. 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Who are the people? Who's the crowd around us helping us get to the end, to God's promised heavenly city? We might think it's our church family. Elsewhere in the, in the letter, that's been really important, that, that kind of we do this together, we spur each other on. But actually, this crowd is not the Christians alive around us. No, it's believers in the Old Testament, Christians who've now died, uh, believers who've now died. Um, all those people in chapter 11 are witnesses. They can testify to us about uh, the life of faith. What does it feel like, this race? We've already run it. Let's tell, let me tell you what it's like. Uh, They can testify to God and his faithfulness. That actually the life of faith is the one life that pleases God. It's worth it in the end. So let's stick some witnesses into the desert. Um, Here is uh, verses 1 to 7. Here's Abel, Enoch, Noah. What are they shouting from the sidelines having finished the race? Well, they'd be saying that the life of faith is the only life that pleases God. This living by what you can't see, trusting God for things he said that you can't see with your eyes at the moment. It may, it may look crazy to the world around. It may make you stick out in your generation, says Noah. But we can testify this is the life that pleases God. The only life that pleases God. It's worth it in the end. 
That was the start of chapter 11. Uh, what about verses 8 to 22? Here you've got Abraham and his, his kids and his grandkids and his wife. Um, there, Abraham would be saying, look, it, it took me a while to learn this. If you look back at Genesis, he, he, he had lots of wobbles. It took me a while to learn this, but I eventually learned, and I can testify that trusting God is the way to live. Particularly trusting God despite appearances. Abraham and Sarah would say, we made all sorts of life decisions based on what God said, where we were going to live, uh, what we were going to pursue in terms of material wealth. And it really looked impossible that God's promises to have a big family would, would actually happen. We were way too old to have kids. And yet, we learned that even though the journey can be hard, faith is the way to live. Then there's verses um, 23 to 31 of chapter 11. This was Moses and his parents and Rahab, the Gentile prostitute who trusted in God. All of them are saying, well, we made hard choices in life. That's what we learned about the race of faith. But sometimes it puts you in, in needing to make a hard choice between allegiance to God and allegiance to, um, and allegiance to, or, or allegiance to the world. And it wasn't easy to make those choices. Uh, the threats of the world were genuinely scary Uh, The temporary rewards, the sinful pleasures on offer were genuinely tempting. But they again can testify it was genuinely worth it to live by faith. Ultimately, it was the only safe place to be. And then finally, uh, last week, we had a whole crowd of people from verse 32 onwards of chapter 11. uh, A huge crowd, different sorts, shapes, sizes, prophets, kings, believers. Um, Some of them are telling stories of triumphs. Um, some of them telling stories of tragedies in this life. Remember, the experience of faith can go up or down. There are um, high points and deep valleys in the race. But all of them are saying it was worth it in the end. Verse 39, all these commended through their faith, even though they didn't get their hands on God's heavenly city until, um, until they died. You see the point? Since we're surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race set before us. There's the first tip. Don't run alone. You're not alone. You may feel isolated in your culture. We may feel there's a lot of voices around us saying trust in Jesus is a crazy way to live. We may feel the odd ones out, that we're out of step with the crowds to believe that Jesus is the only way to find real forgiveness from God. You may be the only believer in your school or workplace or family or orchestra or sports team or university course. But actually, there is this crowd, a huge crowd of witnesses from the Bible, different cultures, times, and places. For every single person who's ever pleased God in the Bible would testify to us, faith is the way to live. God can be trusted even if you can't see it, even if it looks unlikely, even if it's costly. So keep running the race. That's our first point. How do you keep going in the Christian life? Well, inspired by the testimonies of Old Testament believers. Secondly, though, how do we keep running? We run with endurance by getting rid of everything that could trip us up. Now, despite all my Googling, I haven't actually seen this tip yet in the marathon preparation advice. Um, I even read through two articles on how to choose footwear for a marathon, and they were extremely detailed, very boring. Um, But they didn't have this tip, and I wonder if it's just so obvious 
but no one writes it in their, uh, on their online blogs. Um, here's the tip. Avoid tripping yourself up by not having your laces tied together. If you're going to choose shoes, make sure they're not going to get tangled up with each other. I mean, they were all talking about kind of carbon footplates and things. It was uh, just that they assumed that you wouldn't do this. Or another one, um, don't carry a bag of bricks with you. Don't take extra weights. That's what verse 1, the second tip, is about. Getting rid of everything that could trip us up. Don't be encumbered by stuff that will weigh you down. Don't try and carry on with sin that will trip you up. So I'm saying there's a bit of debate about whether this is two things, every weight and every sin, or one thing, kind of weight as a picture of sin. I think it is two things. I think the weight that we're to lay aside are things that are not sinful in themselves, but make it harder to run the Christian race. And then sin, straightforwardly, is disobedience to God and his word, something that could seriously trip us up. One can lead to the other, but I think they are worth considering separately. So then, let's think about this. Let us also lay aside every weight. Can I ask us to consider a question? Are there any weights in our lives, things that make it a lot harder to persevere in the Christian life? There was a Royal Marine who ran the London Marathon with a fridge strapped to his back. And, and not like a papier-mâché looks like a fridge, but an actual fridge. Are any of us trying to run the Christian life with a fridge strapped to our back? What could this be? Something that's not sinful in itself, but not helpful for the Christian run. Um, I think this, this is hard to pin down because it will vary person by person. I think this is one we need to think about ourselves and talk to others about, whether friends or flatmates or folk in our small groups. Remember, they're not wrong per se, and two different Christians might be able to cope or not cope. They might weigh down one particular Christian more than another. But let me throw out some areas and we can think about them afterwards. So, for example, take career ambition. Some of us are working in the kind of environments or are from the kind of backgrounds where there is an expectation to climb the ladder. It's just the norm. You've got to keep ticking off the milestones, growing the salary, boosting the job title. There's nothing sinful about receiving a promotion or getting a different job or a bigger job, a better job. It might sometimes provide more opportunities to get to know colleagues or more capacity to give generously to the gospel or more freedom to serve a church family. But sometimes career ambitions make it a lot harder to keep running the Christian life, to keep serving, to keep eyes on the treasure in heaven rather than the treasure in Egypt here and now. Same with housing. It's not sinful to move to a bigger house or to change country or city with work. But if it makes it much harder to connect in with a Bible-teaching church family, it is like trying to run the Christian life with a fridge on your back. I spoke to someone at the 9.30 service. He said, I've, I've, I moved somewhere and it was really hard to connect to church. And now I've moved a, a, a bit to a different place in the same wider area and I'm just near church and I'm managing to go every week. Hard to meet with God's people if it's a huge commute. Same with leisure. There's nothing wrong with enjoying sport or movies, some movies or TV programs, puzzles, board games, hobbies, music, the gym, and a million other things. They're good gifts, good parts of God's creation. But any one of those things could easily become dominant, couldn't it? And, and a thing that begins to weigh us down actually drags us back from following Jesus or looking to Jesus. 
if it's taking so much time that I can never see other Christians, if it's taking so much mental energy or focus, I'm just totally wrapped up with it, so I never have any headspace to consider Christ, 12 verse 3. If I'm up late most Saturdays watching Netflix, Disney Plus, or Sky Sports, I've got no energy left to serve people at church or even to listen without falling asleep. These are good things that could easily weigh us back. In fact, I really mean good things. So even serving at church, I think, could become a weight like this. I thought it was so helpful in, in the review that Jay, the serving review we did, that Jay included that one of the aims was that those who are too stretched, overstretched, stretched too thin, serving in too many areas, wearing too many hats, that they would be able to actually step back from one or two areas, both for the good of others, to give others an opportunity to serve, but also for their own good. Because if we're too busy to read our Bible and pray, we are too busy. Even if it's serving at church that's keeping us too busy. If we're never managing to sit in church or to concentrate in the sermon, because we're always thinking, oh, I've got to do teas and coffees next, and then I'm going to be helping with that group, and I've got to prep something for tonight. Some weight may need to be jettisoned there. Okay, you can think about it yourself. I've covered their work, housing, leisure, church service, but actually there's a whole load of other areas we might want to think about. Um, how we handle friendships, relationships, habits, material things, shopping, life ambitions, bucket lists, travel, comfort expectations, parental expectations, exam perfectionism, what we do with our weekends, and a million other things. How can you tell when it's becoming a weight? A good thing is becoming a kind of weight that's not actually helpful, uh, that might need to be laid aside. Um, first off, I think just pray for God's help to discern this. God the Holy Spirit is more than capable of putting his finger on something and convicting us uh, where something's become a real drag on our Christian endurance. Secondly, do talk with someone. Um, uh, I think it's really helpful to talk to someone because some of us are tender conscience and we'll be sitting here thinking, oh no, I need to, I need to scrap everything I do. <laughs> kind of, I feel bad about everything. Uh, that's not helpful. A, a Christian friend can reassure us. Others of us will have blind spots and, and think, oh, this is fine. I'm, I'm not carrying a fridge when there's three of them strapped on our back. A good diagnostic question, I think, would be to take the things Hebrews has commanded us to do, like meeting with other Christians to spur them on, uh, listening to God's word, uh, considering Jesus and taking the time to do that, growing as a Christian, take those things and say, are there patterns of life or habits in how I live at the moment, what I do with my weekends, where my energy focus goes? Are there things which make it really hard to obey one of those commands at the moment? Is there anything squeezing Jesus to the margins? Perhaps you might want to ask, uh, have I made any progress? Have I grown as a Christian in the last 12 months? Grown in knowing Jesus, loving him, serving him, living for him through the week. If the answer to that question is no, then what's stopping you? What's holding you back? Again, we've got to be careful because sometimes we feel like we're not growing when actually we're just growing to know God better and, and realizing the gap is much further. So again, trusted friends can help. But if you think, you look back on your younger self and you think, oh, oh I used to be really running this race. Now I'm pretty much standing still. It's worth asking, what's dragging me back? Now at this point, I need to mention, there is a kind of burden that we cannot cast off. See, here he's not talking about suffering and the kind of endurance and difficulties that come to all believers at some point in the Christian marathon, both in our own lives and in the lives of people we care for. 
Uh, Next week, we're going to think about some of the struggles we have to endure as God's children. This race does go through dips and valleys, as well as highs and hills. Jesus endured real suffering. So sometimes we are just crawling along, not because of weight or sin that's holding us back, but just because life is tough. The road is tough. Maybe we're struggling with... um, with our own health or the health of those we're caring for. Maybe we're struggling with opposition at work or at home to being a Christian. Uh, maybe we're um, uh, battling with, with um, a kind of tragedy in, in the kind of end of chapter 11 stuff. Just a very difficult life at the moment. In our family, we have some struggles that are placing more weight on us at the moment. And you can't just throw those off. Like That's part of the, the, the path. But what can be avoided is trying to face those battles with a fridge on your back. Carrying a huge rucksack of extra weight while you try and be faithful to God in the path he's laid in front of you. So, for example, what about the weight of middle-class expectations for a quiet, private life where we sort out our problems alone. We should be able to do this. I shouldn't have to admit to anyone that it's difficult and I need help. What about the weight of the consumerist West and its expectations that you need to keep up with fashion and comfort and material wealth? What about the weight of that fear of missing out, trying to grab as much leisure and pleasure as I can right now, as if this world is all there is, And this life, our only chance to grab it. We saw Moses a couple of weeks ago having to choose allegiance to Christ, the treasure of Christ, or the treasure offered by Egypt. We saw Abraham leaving the security he'd been in, the life he knew, for the country God promised. That's the first thing, throwing off the weight that easily weighs us down. Uh, but secondly, and in some ways much more straightforwardly, so we'll do this quicker, though it's, it's as or more important, the other thing that can slow us down is sin that can easily trip us up. Let us lay aside sin which clings so closely, verse 1. Again, a straight question to us. Is there any sin in our life that we need to deal with? Is today the day for you to draw a line and say, that's it, I'm not going to keep dabbling with that? I'm not going to keep giving in to that. I'm going to ask someone to pray with me about that. Because left unchecked, that is going to trip me up in the Christian life. I'm trying to run with my shoelaces tied. No wonder I'm losing joy in the Christian life. No wonder I'm finding it hard to keep looking to Jesus. Sin is deceptive, isn't it? It clings so closely, as this verse puts it. In chapter 3, the deceitfulness of sin can harden our hearts to God's word. Uh, I think we saw that deceitfulness in in chapter 11, verse 25, that that, um, Moses had to say no to the fleeting pleasures of sin. It seems a good idea at the time. even feels good for for a short time, for a brief moment. Whether that's giving in to lust, or to lies, or to anger, or to slander, or to gossip, or to greed, or to idolatry, or to pride, or to a host of other possibilities whether it's indulging a relationship that we know is not going to help us run the Christian race, or indulging behavior with someone that isn't appropriate when we're not married to them. Hebrews 12 says it's time to stop it. 
That's not easy. We've got a core seminar on a Tuesday night at the end of May to talk about Hebrews applied to sex and relationships. It's not easy to do some of these things. But the message is clear, isn't it? Run the race with endurance. How? Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. As we turn to the Lord's table in a moment, we're going to have some time for reflection. I wonder how you use that time. A great thing to do would be to pray to the Lord to reveal where there are things in our lives we need to say no to, need to stop. Sin we need to turn from and seek his forgiveness for. And if that sounds a painful thing to do, remember those, that crowd of Old Testament believers shouting, us, shouting to us saying, it is worth it. It's worth making the choice. It's worth choosing him over sin. It is worth it. That's the first two hows. Final, um, final thing, final piece of advice for running, keeping running the Christian race is number three. And in lots of ways, the most significant one, the most important one. How do we run with endurance? We look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Um, in my brief marathon research advice, uh, I, I did pick up one or two tips on something called visualization, which is, can help you with long distance running, apparently. Uh, you can focus on something in your mind's eye. You could focus on your stride pattern, or you could visualize getting to the finish line, or you could visualize the course along the way, the kind of major milestones. Um, you mustn't visualize hitting the wall. Apparently that's bad, the kind of exhaustion wall. Instead, visualize hitting a runner's high. I don't think I've ever run far enough to get a runner's high. Or maybe there's something wrong with me. Because um, I remember like, school cross-country was a long, painful, misery distance. Uh, but I still didn't get a runner's high. Apparently it is a thing, though. It's a kind of burst of euphoria when you, after you've done the long run. And you can keep your mental eyes on that, and it kind of helps you along the journey. What about for the Christian? Well, we're to keep our eyes not on ourselves, my own stride pattern, not on the road ahead, is it going to go up or down? Not even actually on the great cloud of witnesses, though they're encouraging us along the way and are an encouragement. No, fundamentally, we're to keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, or, or the pioneer and perfecter of faith. As it's done so many times, Hebrews tells us to take a good, long, regular look at Jesus. Fill your gaze with him. Consider him. Think carefully about him. That's the consider word. In lots of ways, we've been doing this all year. Uh, I think many of us were actually convicted, I think, challenged. When we were back in chapter 6 of Hebrews, it was the week we were on Zoom when we couldn't get into the building. Um, disappointing to be on Zoom, but the, the message was, was challenging, I think, because we were told not to have a kindergarten, kind of nursery school, ABC view of Jesus, just a basic understanding Instead, to grow up into maturity in our understanding of him. We said to keep going, you need to keep growing in knowledge of him, understanding of him. Actually, I think lots of us experience that as we go on in life. Grown-up problems need a grown-up Jesus to deal with them. A grown-up understanding of him. Long-distance endurance requires full-size Jesus. Not just Jesus is my friend, that's true. Not just Jesus can fill a hole in my life when I feel a, a lack of satisfaction, though there's some truth in that. 
No, Jesus as he actually is. Jesus, the Son of God, enthroned at God's right hand. Uh, the coronation has happened. Um, you may have noticed it yesterday, coronation of King Charles III. Actually, the far more important coronation is Jesus, the Son of God, being set at God's right hand. It is an enthronement moment when he's put at God's right hand. And at God's right hand, he's operating as our priest until he returns to judge. I think, wonderfully, lots of us would testify our view of Jesus has grown this year. It's a wonderful thing, deepened, broadened, matured. We're seeing more of his technicolor glory. Um, just here, very briefly, we've only got a few minutes left, but just here, I think there are kind of three amazing things about him that we see here, um, which I've put on the handout. Um, as we look to him, the kind of pioneer and perfecter of faith, what is it we're supposed to see? What are we actually looking at? Well, first off, I think we're to look to him as the one who has run the race already, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, the one who's run and completed the life of faith from start to finish. He's the pioneer, the, the leader of the pack, the trailblazer. He's the finisher. You know, you get those T-shirts, the harder the marathon, the flashier the T-shirt, the kind of finisher, ultramarathon. Jesus is the finisher. He has made it all the way, all the way through enduring real suffering, all the way trusting God until he was exalted at God's right hands. And so in that sense, he is the model. He's our example. He's mapped the route. We're following in his footsteps. It's clear, isn't it? If I just read from verse 1 to verse 2, it follows. So, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Or verse 3, again, a lesson for us from how he ran. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We've seen this before in Hebrews. Jesus is our older brother. He's a kind of pioneer older brother. Uh, Becca mentioned in, in chapter 2, uh, he, he comes down and steps into our shoes, and then the son takes many sons to glory. We follow, follow in his footsteps. And now we have it again here. Um, he is a pioneer brother. He has shown us the way. He's walked the path. He's trod before us. That means however tough it gets, we're not alone. It means he knows how it feels. But actually, Jesus is not just the model of the Christian life. He's not just our older brother. He's also the power for the Christian life, the means of keeping going. He hasn't just finished his own race, but actually he initiates our race and perfects our race. This pioneer and perfecter is of our faith as well as his. We've actually seen we need that again and again. I mean, we see we need it in our own lives. I mean, who of us can say, yeah, I'm really setting the pace for the Christian race at the moment. I'm never slipping up. I'm never tripping over. All of us need it. We've seen it in Hebrews 11. If you go back and actually check any of those lives that we've celebrated as heroes of the faith, actually they were messy, mixed, compromised by sin, by doubt, disbelief. They needed Jesus to make them perfect. We actually got that in 11 verse 40. They were waiting for God to provide something better for us Christians, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. All these believers and all of us need someone to carry us through the race, 
someone to fix our weak faith. Which is just such a massive relief, I think. I don't know how you felt as we, as we thought about some of the stuff we need to get rid of, the weight, the sin, that could enable us to keep running this race. I guess many of us will be conscious there is stuff actually in our lives, stuff that's not right, stuff that needs to go. Conscious that we're not storming ahead at the front of the pack, not consistently sprinting forward in obedience and faith. That our courage to make the right choices, the hard choices of trusting God in a world that doesn't is fitful at best. And so how wonderful to know that we have a great high priest sat at God's right hand right now interceding for us. That's what the heart of the book was about. Remember chapters 5 to 10, it's the center of Hebrews. You have this perfect priest at God's right hand. I was trying to think of a running illustration for this um, and basically failed, but I'll give you the best one I got. Um, It's like a a kind of ex-runner, a marathon finisher who comes back down the course to kind of coach and support and encourage the weak runners to keep going to the end. Except it's a rubbish illustration because Jesus isn't just a coach, is he? He's actually carrying us to the end. In the New Covenant, he provides a sacrifice to cover all of our failings so we can be fully forgiven. In the New Covenant, he sends his spirit into our hearts to keep us running God's way, give us the will to run. And best of all, he's a priest right now for us, at God's right hand, interceding for us, representing us, praying for us. Chapter 7, verse 25 says, because he always lives, he's always interceding so we can make it all the way. Save us to the uttermost. Save us all the way. It's a wonderful thing, this. And this is what we're to keep our eyes on. Uh, Not on ourselves, not even on the finish line, but on Jesus, sat at God's right hand right now. Jesus, the one who is not just our example, but is our perfect priest. Jesus, the one who will keep us going right to the end. So as we turn in a moment to the Lord's table, uh, we're not just looking backwards, remembering the cross. Uh, Jesus paid for all of our failures on the road. We're not just looking forwards to when Jesus returns to collect us. We're actually looking upwards to the Jesus who right now sat at God's right hand is sustaining us for this walk. It's my prayer that if you're just about putting one foot in front of the other this morning, then that would be a huge encouragement to you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Thank you that he's reigning right now at your right hand for us, interceding, praying for us, strengthening us, keeping us going. We pray now as we sing and then have time to reflect over the Lord's Supper. We pray that you would help us to lay aside any weight or sin that so easily entangles and help us all together to run with endurance the race you've set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.